Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 109, Apple's Grand Vision. I am Neil. Every once in a while, there is value in taking a step back to look at the big picture. In going over the past few months of podcast episodes, one thing that becomes clear is Apple's had a very busy 2017. We can go all the way back to in the beginning of the year when Apple had changes to the iPad and Mac strategies. At WWDC, we had new iPads and Macs, and of course, HomePod was unveiled. And then we had Apple's large product event last month, new Apple TV, a cellular Apple Watch, and three new flagship iPhones. We can say that Apple essentially updated its entire product line over just the course of a few months. It's pretty remarkable. But this draws into question Apple's product strategy. How do these new iPads and Macs relate to an Apple TV or a cellular Apple Watch? Where does HomePod fit into the mix? And then, of course, we have ongoing reports of Apple continuing to be interested in transportation. How does that fit into a product portfolio of personal gadgets? At the same time, let's look at what's going on in Silicon Valley. Terms like voice first or AI first They're becoming buzzwords. Amazon now has an entire line of Echo hardware. Google is becoming much more vocal with its Pixel hardware strategy. This is starting to draw into question Apple's product strategy. And more importantly, it's starting to draw into question, what is Apple's vision? So it's not just about this product line that we see. It's it's going beyond it. What is driving Apple's view of the world? In today's episode, we're going to talk about Apple's product strategy. But more importantly, we're going to go over Apple's grand vision. While Apple is no stranger to receiving skepticism or cynicism, especially when it comes to new products, I think the degree to which people are discounting Apple's product strategy is quite noteworthy. Upon closer examination, there is mounting evidence here that Apple's industrial designers, they're following a product vision. It's based on using design to make technology more personal. I don't think that vision just applies to selling personal gadgets like iPads and iPhones. I think there's a place for that vision in entirely new industries. The best place to begin today's episode is to focus on Apple's current product strategy. Now, what a lot of people do in pursuit of that analysis is they go to Apple's financials. Seems pretty clear. Every three months, we get an update as to how Apple's products are doing. How are they selling? When you take a closer look at Apple's financials, they paint a very clear picture. It seems like this company is following an iPhone as hub product strategy. So you can think of it as the iPhone is the sun and every other product revolves around iPhone. Apple generated $140 billion of revenue from iPhone last year. In terms of gross profit, the number is $60 billion. In terms of totals, revenue, about 60% of Apple's overall revenue. In terms of gross profit, the iPhone's about 70% of Apple's overall revenue. If we turn to unit sales, over the past year, 
Apple sold 2.5 times more iPhones than iPads, Macs, Apple Watches, Apple TVs, and AirPods combined. As usual, there is a corresponding article for this podcast, so you can go to AboveAvalon.com, and the article is titled Apple's Grand Vision. And Exhibit 1, I have Apple product unit sales. We have iPhone and iPad and Mac. Those are numbers Apple discloses. Not too many surprises there, but I also included my estimates for Apple Watch, Apple TV, and wireless AirPods. Here's the thing, though. I think when you take a closer look at these numbers, and you look at what Apple really is trying to do here, Apple isn't following an iPhone as hub strategy. In fact, I don't think the company has ever followed such a product strategy. Instead, what Apple is doing is they're following a strategy based on selling a range of tools, another way of saying products, containing varying levels of personal technology. So I think Apple's placing bets on four product categories. Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch. The key to this strategy is Apple leaves it up to the consumer to determine the amount of personal technology that fits best in his or her life. So out of those four product categories, the iPhone has been the winner. Hundreds of millions of people look at the iPhone as a device that just has the right mix of power and functionality and a convenient form factor. There is a value in being able to put that device in our pocket, in a backpack, in a purse. This plays a major role in explaining iPhone's oversized impact on Apple's financials. This is why Apple makes so much money from just one product category. Another way of visualizing this is to look at growth and install base. This tells us how each of the four product categories are performing. How are they connecting with consumers? Now this number, growth and install base, it's not from Apple. You're not going to find in a 10Q or 10K. Apple's not going to talk about it on their earnings conference calls. Instead, these are estimates that can be derived from Apple's unit sales, so that's a number that Apple does disclose, and management commentary and other outside data sources. So, for example, if we look at the iPhone business, instead of just looking at unit sales, what if we break that number up into two parts? Sales to existing iPhone users, also known as upgraders, and sales to new people. So these are people who are buying their first iPhone from Apple or a third-party retailer. And if we run this calculation for each year going back to 2007, we can derive an estimate for how many new people are entering the iPhone install base each year. This is incredibly important because that's how we can figure out the current iPhone user base install base. We could also figure out how many people are in a position to upgrade each year. Now, I know that we're running through this very quickly. At the end of the episode, I'll have more to say about this methodology and some of these numbers. But the main takeaway for this episode is that for the iPhone, 
This is a product category that's growing by 100 million new people each year. The iPad, it's a fraction of it. More like 15 million people are entering the iPad install base. Apple Watch, it's more like 10 million. And then, of course, we have the Mac at the end, bringing in about 8 million new people each year. At this point, some of you may be wondering about Apple TV or wireless AirPods, Beats headphones. Now we have HomePod. How do those products fit into this product strategy? Does Apple consider them to be sort of their own product category? Well, the way I look at this is in addition to the four primary product categories, Mac, iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch, Apple also sells a line of accessories. So HomePod, wireless AirPods, Beats, Apple TV, they're accessories that are positioned to add value to Apple's primary computing platforms. We can go a little bit deeper. Most of those accessories, they're designed to control sound. So wireless AirPods and Beats, they handle sound on the go. HomePod is tasked with controlling sound in the home. So this tells us that Apple TV is pretty unique because it's being given the job of controlling both sound and video and the largest piece of glass in the home. This is why we see Apple launching tvOS. It's a platform for third-party developers because of that video component. So we have four primary product categories, and we have a line of accessories. That's another way of thinking of Apple's current product line. At this point, we can end the discussion about Apple's product strategy and turn to Apple's vision. However, that would be a mistake. There's much more that's going on behind the scenes in terms of how all of these products are related to each other. So when you look at Apple's four primary product categories, Mac, iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch, they do seem to share a few obvious attributes. For example, each one contains a screen. It ends up being a very important part of Apple Watch, by the way. But there is a much more important connection. Each is designed to be an alternative to the next more powerful device. This brings us to the grand unified theory of Apple products. This is a theory that connects all four product categories. So when we look at the iPad, that device, that product category, is meant to handle tasks formally given to the Mac. You can look at the iPhone. That product category is meant to handle tasks formally given to the iPad or Mac. You have Apple Watch. That product is meant to handle tasks formally given to iPhone. What's going on here? Apple's quest to make technology more personal involves using design to remove the barriers preventing people from getting the most out of technology. So instead of coming up with a new product like iPhone or Apple Watch as a replacement for an older product, 
what Apple is doing here is they're focused on coming up with alternatives. One way of doing this is to take complicated tasks and break them down into more granular tasks. By doing that, you could then have smaller and simpler devices handle those more granular tasks. So again, the iPad, it's being given the job of being powerful and capable enough to serve as a Mac alternative iPhone is given the job of handling tasks that may have otherwise gone to iPad. And then Apple Watch. It's given the job of doing just enough things on the wrist that it could serve as an iPhone alternative. So as we've talked about in the past, this isn't about replacements. The iPad does not replace a Mac. You can't take everything that you do on a Mac and then say, well, you can do it on an iPad. You can't do it. One of the more obvious examples is developing apps. But the Apple Watch, that's not an iPhone replacement. It doesn't have a camera. Instead, the Apple Watch is an iPhone alternative, just as the iPad is a Mac alternative. And so what this does is it positions all of these product categories on a spectrum. At the very left, you have the Mac. At the very right, you have Apple Watch. And this spectrum is based on a degree of personal technology found in each device. Longtime Above Avalon listeners and readers would know that I use this phrase, personal technology, or the phrase, making technology more personal, quite a bit. It's a very important part of Apple's product strategy and grand vision. And just a minute or two ago, we talked about how this is really about removing barriers that prevent us from getting the most out of technology. Well, what are some recent examples of that? We can look at multi-touch computing. That item represented a giant leap in Apple's quest to make technology more personal. We can look at Apple Watch. Putting digital voice assistance on the wrist is Apple's latest personal technology breakthrough. This brings us to the heart of personal technology. You're taking advances in technology and you're combining them with design. Design is the missing ingredient. It is the critical link that helps Apple make technology more personal. Of course, we're not talking about how the device looks. We're talking about how we use devices. So with multi-touch computing, we were able to use technology differently. We were able to interact with technology differently. With digital voice assistance on the wrist, it takes it to a whole new level. Even iPhone X and Face ID You could see where that's headed. We're going to be using our iPhones differently going forward. There's going to be much less in the way of tapping and swiping and more glances and looks. All of these changes, all of this work is meant to make technology more personal. We are able to get more out of technology without technology ruling our life. 
That is the key to understanding Apple. That is what Apple is all about. This is a company that has been on this path for 40 years. And I think Apple's product strategy is based on that idea. It's based on this quest to make technology more personal. There are signs of Apple's product strategy beginning to evolve. There are new product priorities. While Apple designers and engineers have clearly shown the willingness to push each one of Apple's four primary product categories forward, there is change in the air. Apple Watch in the broader wearables category represent Apple's best chance to make technology more personal. That was the item that was in the far right of the personal technology spectrum. This is why I think one of the highlights from Apple's event last month at Steve Jobs Theater was a cellular Apple Watch. I think a lot of people tend to forget, but no one was expecting a cellular Apple Watch this soon. My expectations was it would be a couple of years until we would see a cellular Apple Watch because of battery concerns and form factor limitations. Instead, a cellular Apple Watch told me that this is a company that is running very quickly with Apple Watch. In fact, I thought the Apple Watch portion of the event was the strongest part of Apple's presentation. Apple has been refining its Apple Watch messaging for the past two years, and it shows. Apple has a much more appealing and convincing Apple Watch sales pitch for consumers. Here in the U.S., I like saying this every once in a while because it's just so remarkable. When you go out really anywhere, you are seeing Apple Watches on a lot of wrist. This is a product category that has a lot of momentum, and it's just beginning. More interestingly, it's not just with one crowd. It's not just with early tech adopters. It's with the young, the young at heart, people in high school, college, in the workforce. There is really no limitation as to how this product is appealing to everyone. It's becoming clear that Apple's product priorities are shifting. I think the top priority right now is to release an Apple Watch that is fully independent of iPhone. We are talking about you do not need an iPhone to use an Apple Watch. We aren't there yet, and we probably won't be there in 2018. But I think that's Apple's ultimate goal. We have other product priorities, including positioning Apple Watch to handle more tasks currently given to iPhone. Release accessories that complement Apple's expanding wearable strategy. Of course, we can't forget about iPhone. Position iPhone as an augmented reality navigation device. The iPhone, of course, is Apple's best tool for bringing in new users. That's probably not going to change in the near term. Position iPad as a genuine Mac alternative. And then, of course, you have Position Mac as a VR an AR content creation machine. So you can see each one of Apple's product categories, there's still a lot more that Apple can do here. There are still priorities that Apple is trying to achieve. So when you combine those six priorities into one cohesive product strategy, well, that's our personal technology spectrum. Mac on the left, the least amount of personal technology, 
followed by iPad, iPhone, and then on the right, you have Apple Watch. So I think resources and attention, they're flowing to the devices at the right end of that spectrum, the products most capable of making technology more personal. The cellular Apple Watch Series 3, it's the latest step in Apple's journey to an Apple Watch that is completely independent from iPhone. Why is that such a big deal? An Apple Watch independent of iPhone would triple Apple Watch's addressable market. It would be a watershed moment for Apple Watch. In terms of Apple Watch actually serving as a genuine iPhone alternative, I think this product's going to one day include a selfie camera. I think you're going to have more done by Siri intelligence. So what these things are going to do is let Apple Watch handle more and more tasks that we used to give iPhone. This brings us to the grand vision. Apple believes design is the ingredient that allows people to get the most out of technology. This isn't just held by industrial designers at Apple. The entire company, engineers, product designers, marketing, Apple retail specialists, they all believe in this focus on the user experience. Apple views core technologies not as products in of themselves, but as ingredients for something else. It's not just about voice. It's not just about artificial intelligence. It's not just about multi-touch computing. It's about how those technologies can power devices that we use, that we interact with. Instead of copying other companies and chasing technology's raw capability, Apple is much more interested in technology's functionality as it relates to the user experience. So it's easy to look at Apple's current product line, which is composed of personal devices, and wonder where will the company turn next? What's the next big product category? I think at this point, additional wearables, such as augmented reality glasses, they're inevitable. We went into detail about that in episode 103. The key point is that wearables fit within a product line of personal gadgets. On the other hand, you have Apple's growing interest in transportation. This has been a head-scratcher for many people. A self-driving car does not seem to fit within Apple's product strategy. Do you place a car next to Apple Watch? So you have smaller and smaller devices able to make technology more personal, then all of a sudden you have a car? That doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. This has led a lot of people to wonder if Apple's getting away from its mission or its vision. Is Apple now more preoccupied with just chasing revenue or getting new users? I think this is one reason why any discussion about Apple and transportation, it brings out the skeptics. For a lot of people, it, it's difficult not to be cynical. But I look at it differently. Instead of assuming a self-driving car would just be sort of tacked onto the end of Apple's product line next to a cellular Apple Watch, the much more likely scenario is that transportation would represent a brand new product paradigm for Apple. Project Titan shouldn't be just thought of as one car or some sort of self-driving car initiative. 
it represents a foundation for Apple's transportation ambition. Now, over at AboveAvalon.com, I have one diagram that sort of lays this discussion out. At the top, I have personal devices, Mac, iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch. It's on a spectrum, so there's arrows from the Mac to the iPad, from the iPad to the iPhone, from the iPhone to the Apple Watch. So you can look at it as this is a lineup of products with varying levels of personal technology. Well, what if you take that vision and apply it to transportation? It's not just about one self-driving car. It's about Apple developing more personal modes of transportation. The company can use new user interfaces, fewer wheels, different seating arrangements. This process will be equivalent to how Apple started with the Mac and then used new interfaces, technology, design, and manufacturing techniques to create new products that were capable of making technology more personal. So the way this would work is you take a self-driving car and you start stripping away capabilities in order to improve functionality. If we think of today's car as a box on wheels, and for a lot of people, I think that actually does describe the situation pretty well. I think the future is, well, those boxes on wheels will be turned into smart rooms on wheels. But at that point, I don't think it just ends right there. I think the whole point is you begin to offer different kinds of smart rooms on wheels. And we're not talking about an SUV, a sedan. That's legacy design thinking. Look at today's cars, and there is such a lack of design. It's remarkable. Instead, it's all about, well, how can you make that room smarter? How can you add more technology to the product and then be able to get more out of it? Because again, it's not just about the raw capability found with technology. It's about how you add design to get more out of technology. So for a car in the future, we may be relying on augmented reality in terms of windshields, windows, ceilings. Well, maybe there's a different form factor. Maybe there's a different user interface for getting more out of that technology. Maybe it doesn't involve a very large self-driving car. Maybe it's smaller. Maybe it's fewer wheels. You're not going to find that out in the first two years of Apple entering transportation, just like how it took Apple 40 years to go from Mac to Apple Watch. The point is transportation will be a whole new paradigm. You're not just tacking on cars or motorcycles, or bicycles. You're not just tacking that on next to an Apple Watch or next to an iPhone. This same principle actually applies to architecture and the broader concept of smart homes. We talked a little bit about this when we were going over Steve Jobs' theater. It's difficult to see homes really, truly becoming smart until Silicon Valley begins building their own housing. I don't think going out and just buying smart accessories for the door, smart light bulbs, that's not, that's not the future. That, that's not where things are going. That's a stepping stone to what I think is technology companies getting into the housing market. The major takeaway 
when you look at transportation, when you look at construction or building, it's that Apple's quest to make technology more personal, it doesn't just apply to personal devices. It doesn't just apply to iPads, Apple Watches, iPhones. It's not just about things that could fit in your pocket, that could be worn on your face, that can be worn on the wrist. There is a place for design to impact entirely new industries, such as transportation and construction, and the list goes on. That is Apple's grand vision. That represents the future of this company. At this point, it's important to go over some issues associated with Apple's grand vision. Because not everything has been perfect. Not everything has worked out well. Apple has run into its fair share of issues and roadblocks in an attempt at following its grand vision. As resources and attention flow to devices most capable of making technology more personal, such as iPhone and Apple Watch, Apple has made some questionable design decisions. We can look at the Mac as a prime example. In particular, you have the Mac Pro and Apple's overall approach to Pro Mac users. It really hasn't fared well in recent years. This actually serves as the basis for my article, The Mac is Turning into Apple's Achilles Heel. We went over that topic in detail in episode 95. Now, management was forced to backtrack in terms of its Mac strategy in order to stem what was growing backlash within the pro-Mac community. Even today, the amount of criticism that's pointed at the Mac, a lot of which is genuine, it's trending at multi-year highs. It feels like something is off. The Mac situation also ends up revealing a lot of the downsides associated with Apple's functional organizational structure. This is a company that practices a focused mantra when it comes to product development. Unfortunately, this situation may result in certain products getting left behind or not getting as much attention as they may need. And again, we could look at some of those Mac models as a prime example. So this may make the jump into new product paradigms like transportation that much harder for Apple. It is not a given. We can look at Apple's product line over the years. I still think it's incredibly focused for an $825 billion company with almost a billion users, but there is no denying that additional models and SKUs, it's led to an expanding product line over the years. Apple relies on a consumer segmentation strategy to target as broad of a market as possible for each one of its four primary product categories. So this is why Apple doesn't just sell two iPhones. Apple doesn't just sell two Apple Watches. They sell a range of iPhones, from iPhone X all the way down to iPhone SE. The company is trying to appeal to as broad of a market. So for some people who value price, the iPhone SE or maybe the iPhone 6S will stand out. And for those who value the latest and greatest in terms of technology, the iPhone 10 will stand out. A similar dynamic is found with iPad and Apple Watch. So if we look at Apple Watch, you have Series 1. That is targeting a user who values price. Meanwhile, Series 3 has the cellular option. Essentially, Apple has learned a lesson or two from the dark days of the 1990s, where it had a lot of trouble 
expanding its Mac user base beyond a core group of users. However, a byproduct of this consumer segmentation strategy has been complexity. You look at all of these product lines, there's a lot more options for users. And Apple's response to that is, well, our users are smart. They can figure it out. That was actually Tim Cook's response to a question as to whether the iPhone line was getting a little bit too complex with too many options. This brings us to the final topic for today, and I call it the inevitable path. Apple puts much effort, care, and deliberation into marketing. So when you go over to Apple's website and you go to the HomePod mini page, there's something that really caught my attention. There is an animated video on the page meant to highlight HomePod spatial awareness capability. So this is being able to put HomePod anywhere in your room and have it essentially map out the room in order to deliver a better sound experience. When you look at the video, there's only two Apple products shown in the room. You have HomePod on a table, and you have two individuals wearing Apple Watches. There is no iPhone. There is no iPad. There is no Mac. For some companies, that can be brushed off as just a simple oversight. Not a big deal. But not for Apple. I think it's intentional. Apple looks at Apple Watch as the natural evolution of personal computing. Having Siri intelligence on the wrist throughout the day while receiving consumer information via a screen is very powerful. Meanwhile, look at how HomePod is being positioned. It's an Apple Watch accessory. It's delivering sound in a way that just isn't feasible for a device worn on the wrist. While some companies are advocating new product strategies, such as voice first or AI first. Apple is taking a different path. Their product strategy is evolving into one based on wearables. You then have voice and artificial intelligence positioned as core technologies powering those wearable devices. This is the inevitable path that Apple's been on for the past 40 years. Going forward, the largest opportunity for Apple will be found in using its product vision to create personal technology paths in new industries. Apple is only scratching the surface when it comes to combining design and technology to come up with new user experiences. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you like the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I do write an exclusive daily email all about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words containing two to three stories. Story topics can include everything from strategy and business analysis to financial modeling. We go over my financial estimates for Apple, and we also go over my observations on current news events. We talk about Apple competitors. Apple earnings, and of course, Apple keynotes. This exclusive daily email is the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership. My goal with these exclusive daily emails is very simple. It's to learn about Apple. It's to have a better understanding of how Apple views the world. And one way of doing that is to take a look at what's taking place not only at Apple, but with Apple competitors. 
It's to take Apple Financials and go a little bit deeper. As I briefly mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I recently went over my install base and user base estimates for iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. All of my methodology and my numbers were sent to above Avalon members. My goal with publishing those numbers was to get a better handle of how Apple's product strategy is evolving, to take a look at which products are bringing in new users. That math also plays a very big role in how I'm thinking about 2018 and 2019 estimates for Apple. If you're interested in receiving that analysis and receiving my exclusive daily email about Apple, all you have to do is become a member. Head on over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the membership page. Sign up is very simple. It's either $10 per month or $100 per year. Members also have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack. So this is where the archive exists. So you can go back and read previous daily emails, and you could also chat with other Above Avalon members. If you go to the membership page, there are a few links to sample emails. These are emails that previously went out to Above Avalon members, and I think they do a good job at representing what a typical email will include. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members, and I'm very proud of that. So if you are an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, well, thank you in advance. I do appreciate it. With that, we will conclude today's episode. We will talk to each other next week. Bye.